Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, in which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Today's Old Testament reading will be from Genesis 25, 19-26. Uh, it's page 24 on the Pew Bible. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel and Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed that the Lord prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your room, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her room, womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, and his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and men. Is Branham here today? Big, big David? I just have to do this. $100,000 for you for the best legs. I tell you, the whole neighborhood could hear him doing his Roman soldier thing. It was awesome. Very big, powerful guy yelling at the top of his lungs in the crucifixion scene. It was compelling. So anyway, thank you very much um, to all of our VBS volunteers. Well, our texts today uh, talk about growing, 
really just, just growing up. The text that we read in Genesis, if you go to the next verse after where we quit, and let's just do that very quickly. Uh, we were in Genesis chapter 25. If you go to verse 27, there's something really cool there. After you hear the story of the struggle between Jacob and Esau in the womb and how they were named when they were born. I wish we had a more natural affinity to understanding the meaning of names. Um, He was red and hairy, so they called him Esau. That's not a connection for me, but it was for them. And there's great meaning in these names. But if you look at um, verse 27, it says, The boys grew up. There's a story of birth, but they grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, more domesticated. Okay? Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isn't that the story of about every family? It seems like one takes after one parent more than another. Not always, but it seems to be that way. Well, my sermon title is The Task. And I won't be long-winded this morning. The task that is given all of us is a very natural one and one we take for granted. And yet I think that ends up being our problem. You see, these boys were born, but that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus was born. It wasn't the end of the story. His task was to grow. And when a child grows and matures and develops an expertise and develops a way to care for himself or herself and contribute to the wider community or wider society in which they live, the task feels like it's been completed. This is what the thrust of all this energy and money and effort families put into children and church families put into children. It's vital that every child, without even agreeing to, without even understanding it, enter the task. Every stage of development is a struggle. We were talking just the other day in our family about why babies nap so much. Two, three times a day, it seems ridiculous. At the rate those sponges are absorbing information and gathering language and the energy it takes to learn to control muscles, you would be wiped out for two months. Two months. You'd, just, you'd be comatose trying to do what a baby does. It looks like they're doing nothing, doesn't it? Tremendous things are happening. The energy expended by a baby is unbelievable, even when it looks like a doorstop. <laughs> It's, you know, and I remember the doorstop phase. You know, he's, he's cute, but he's a doorstop. He's not interacting much. He just sleeps, cries, poops, you know, whatever. It's great. Uh, but then baby kind of wakes up and comes alive a little bit, and eye contact starts to become more dominant and, and prevalent, and the baby talk, gurgling, and so forth starts happening, and the crying becomes stronger, and the lungs become stronger, and pretty soon they realize they have hands, and so you have to cover them so they don't claw their faces off. And, you know, but eventually they get control of all of that. It's just unbelievable how fast all of this happens and how much weight they put on and how quickly they grow if everything is going as God intended. It's a miracle. 
any, you know, we're moving so fast in life that we've, we've forgotten, I think, until we, we experience it again, what a miracle birth itself is. That a child goes from the womb to screaming and crying and that we're able to transition it from a water world into an air world and that it's somehow able to thrive. And that in a mother's milk is everything it needs nutritionally for a long period of time. The grace God has put into this process, it's unbelievable. And the task, we have only one requirement of a child and we don't even articulate it. Let it grow, let it thrive, let it become. And that's what babies do. And then they become toddlers and we wish they weren't growing and thriving and getting into as many things as fast as they are. Better fence the pool, a lot of other things because they're gone like that. Quick, 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 quick. Every phase is a challenge and a joy, a delight, and we watch them move through them and they're not even thinking about it as long as we're providing touch and love and they're getting fresh air, sunshine, and nutrition. As long as there's someone to give them that support, it happens all by itself. God has put within them everything they need to grow. And they do. And the learning process takes place, but this is a deliberate one, everybody. This is what's really scary about the world in which we live. There are so many children so grossly neglected that they are not getting the language skills. They're not getting, they're, they're, they're touch deprived or touch aversion. They, they're not socialized because of the neglect. And as parents, as grandparents, our task, the child's task is to grow, but if it gets these required things, it will. It's got to be talked to. It's got to be guided. It's got to be held and loved. It's got to be affirmed, this child. Well, if everything is done right, with a little luck, everything turns out more or less okay. No one's perfect. But we get a body of knowledge accumulated. We go through our graduations. We learn things and eventually we come of age. And the expectation is that we'll be increasingly independent and increasingly able to help ourselves. We live right now in a very interesting time. You know, sociologists and psychologists have redefined adolescence. When I was an adolescent, it pretty much ended at about, oh, I don't know, 18, 19, something like that, 20, for sure, by 21. Adolescence was over. They've now divided adolescence into three major periods, early, mid, and late adolescence. And late adolescence goes until the mid-20s. Brain research. I've quoted this before. Prefrontal cortexes aren't baked until a person is about 24 or 25. The corpus callosum, which connects the two hemispheres of the brain, is not fully myelinated. That is to say that cholesterol-based sheath that protects the nerves and keeps them from cross-firing and so forth in funny ways, that myelination isn't completed until 26 or 27. The brain isn't fully baked until we're in our mid-20s. That's why young people do risky and sometimes very stupid things, among other reasons. The task, though, is to get to productive adulthood to gain a body of knowledge that will not only keep us alive and thriving, but able to provide for ourselves and ultimately for new families to come.
That's the task. It's a sacred task. And it cannot be separated from spirituality because each achievement, physiologically, physically, each achievement mentally, each achievement socially has a spiritual dimension and capacity. It's built within. I've watched my father age. My father's aging has had some downsides, but it's had some really great things along with it too. I've watched him go from being very concerned about certain things at 27, 30, 35, to not caring about those things at all at 70. He's mellowed. Life is different for him. He has a different appreciation for what is vitally important and what isn't. There's a wisdom that's come with experience in time and age. And I'm just saying that because I'm getting older now. <laughs> in a few years, I'll really be singing that song, and, you know. Uh, but, uh, right. My point is that the maturity, the spiritual growth, the process of, of all of this never stops. It is the ongoing task. Only as adults, we sometimes think of it as continuing education. Maybe we go back to school to get a better job. Maybe we have to go through a training course in our existing job. Something like this. Maybe we better ourselves by taking a sewing class or joining a choir. Something. But the task that Jesus identifies or is identified in relationship to Jesus' task has to do with something beyond human maturity, although it encompasses all of that. It has something to do with more than knowledge, although it encompasses that. Our scripture teaches that we seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is added to us. Our scriptures teach us that knowledge is worth pursuing, but wisdom is the greatest gift of all. That wisdom with knowledge is a wonderful insulator to keep us from harm in life, whether it's self-inflicted or other-inflicted. I think last week or the week before we read parts of Proverbs, chapters 1, 2, and 3, all very well illustrate this. When we get to Luke, we have this wonderful story of a very early adolescent. Only in the time of Christ, one was basically considered an adult by the time one reached 14 or so. And so the whole definition of how he was expected to function in society would be changing much sooner than in our society today. The text says Jesus grew in wisdom, which is to be sought above everything else, Stature, which happens all by itself if we take in nutrition, exercise, sunshine, air, water. And in favor with God and man. That is our spiritual task. It isn't that we seek to curry favor through special favors we ourselves provide or produce. It isn't that we seek favor at the expense of or another or in a political scheming kind of way in our lives, in our office work. 
It isn't that we seek favor through bribes or seek favor through unequal treatment of our children or something else. We seek favor through the process of maturity, spiritual and in every other way. If you've ever met a mature person, you find them to be balanced, reasonable, fair, approachable, industrious, capable, with a measure of knowledge, possessed of a measure of wisdom, integrated. You find a mature person possesses those qualities that the scriptures teach us to seek. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. And what we forget, I think, daily, is that the growing never stops and that our task even though much of it is complete because we've reached that point of physical and otherwise maturity, our task is to continue to pursue spiritual maturity, favor with God and man. The more mature we become spiritually, the more, I think, universally recognizable the image of God is in us. That's really saying something. Let me repeat that because I I think it's fairly pithy. The more spiritually mature we become, the more universally recognized or recognizable that is in us. The spiritually mature person has the grace to trust God with the life of others has the grace to recognize that each journey is different. Has the grace not to judge because they don't wish to be judged, but has wisdom to share and knowledge and experience to share if sought. The spiritually mature person is able to encourage and gently extol and gently correct. The spiritually mature person is seen not just to contain the image of God by his fellow Christian or evangelical Christian or Adventist Christian or whatever, but the image of God is visible in him or her to the Buddhist, to the non-believer, to the Muslim, to the Hindu. When we have the image of God in us and we've grown in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men and we've matured, we, like Christ, will also tick certain people off. Spiritually fixated people. People interested in their own achievements, in their own righteousness people interested in controlling systems and controlling us, people who don't have servants' hearts but lead out of fear 
and power. We'll take them off. Jesus did. It cost him his life. The task before you this Sabbath and every day is to be like Jesus. And that means growing. I don't want to do any more of this kind of growing. So I'm done with stature. Okay? But I want to grow in knowledge, in wisdom. I want to pray that the image of God continues to grow in me in such a way that it can be recognized by you and all I come into contact with. And I want to grow in favor with my Heavenly Father because He's given me everything. And He's given you everything. And even when it feels like you're just plugging away in the vineyard and the kid who ran away and come home has been given the fatted calf, hear the word of the Father. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. I was talking to a couple a couple weeks ago they were talking about their children and the father's comment was, they're grown, they're, they're done, I'm finished. I looked at him and I said, you're not finished. I said, you are never going to be done. You're never going to be done parenting, you're never going to be done being a father. How you approach them may change, what you're able to influence may change, but you will always be their father. And you must step up to the plate and continue to be that to them. Always. Our task isn't done. We celebrate it in kids when we see it and the markers are less obvious in our own lives. But whether you journal, whether you have a conversation partner who mirrors back to you the changes that they see in you, whether it's just sort of a subtle and unconscious shift over time, my prayer is that you are invested in gaining knowledge, wisdom, and growing in favor with God and the rest of humanity. For we serve, we exist to serve and bless just as our Savior came to serve and bless. Happy Sabbath. I believe it's that time when our deacons and deaconesses will wait on us for the offering. Let us give as we have received.
so, Lord, we would pray as we learned in VBS this week that whatever we feel, whoever we are, wherever we go, whatever happens to us, we'll learn to trust you. And we pray that we might engage the task you've given us in life to grow, to seek knowledge and wisdom, to become more like you, to gain your favor and to mirror you to the world around us. May we engage this by your spirit, I pray. Amen.